Hello, I'm Charles Bowman and welcome to this, another special episode of Off The Agenda. Today, we're back in the city of London, home to the UK's globally renowned financial and professional services sector, and I am delighted to be joined by Dean Forbes, CEO of Forturo. Dean's is an extraordinarily inspirational story. Twice homeless in London as a teenager, failing to make the grade as a professional footballer and debt-ridden as a result, Dean transformed his life in the space of just 20 years through a role as a junior call centre sales executive at Motorola to CEO of billion euro businesses. He puts his remarkable success in business down to the drive, determination and the desire to prove himself. Quickly scaling the Motorola corporate ladder, he moved to US tech company Primavera, where he excelled at sales, taking on leadership roles which ultimately saw Forbes overseeing the firm's sale to Oracle for a reported $550 million in 2008 when he was just 30 years old. From Oracle to KDS and from KDS to Core HR, Forbes has continued his business success, becoming a darling of the tech sector and the venture capital deal. In March 2021, he was appointed CEO of Fortero, a European-focused software company which, under his leadership, achieved aspirational tech unicorn status in February 2022, when it was acquired by Partners Group for 1 billion euros. Beyond Forturo, Dean serves on the board of Cornerstone VC, partners with Courtland Capital, and acts as the chairman and co-founder of the Forbes Family Group, a platform dedicated to driving positive social mobility in the communities it serves. Dean's outstanding achievements were recognised when he was named the most influential black man in Britain on the Power List of 2023. And it is my great pleasure to welcome Dean Forbes to Off the Agenda. Dean, can I start by saying thank you very much for joining us on Off the Agenda. It's an absolute delight to, to meet you to, today. And I'm going to take you back to your uh, earlier years, which by your admission were very challenging. Uh, in your teens, you and the family found yourself homeless twice. You were living in shelters and hostels in southeast London. How did you manage those early years, your education, your school and your studies throughout those challenging times? You know, it's funny, Charles, it's only uh, as an adult looking back on that experience, you have kind of a full appreciation for what was happening at the time. Um, my mum was such a phenomenal force of nature that the reality of what was happening around us wasn't really apparent to us uh, as children. So I look back on some of those times, you know, in, in hostels, in temporary accommodation, in difficult circumstances, as actually some of the most fun uh, periods in my life because she did so much to shelter us from that. We played uh, hide and seek in the dark at home when we didn't have uh, electricity. And despite everything that was going on around us, she was absolutely adamant that we had to get a good uh, education. And again, looking back on it now as an adult, in everything that was going on, all of that adversity, all of that, um, all the economic struggles, it was kind of insane to have such a high educational expectation of her children, but that's what she had. So that just became uh, our normal and we we kind of enjoyed it and we lived one day to the next on a bit of an adventure and it's only now looking back that I have any appreciation for how difficult that that period actually was. Your mother's influence and clearly it was about making a virtue of circumstance and it sounds as if you, she and the whole family did. Yeah she, she never paused to kind of consider the enormity of the issues that she was facing. She was kind of a one foot in front of the other person all the time and I think 
you know, that really rubbed off on me and something I've probably carried in, in my life and career as well. That's fantastic. Well, as a young person, moving a little bit on, on uh, making the decision to give up what was proving to be or hoping to be a promising career in football and then joining Motorola as you did in a junior telesales role must have been very difficult. Um, what, what were the factors that influenced you in making that decision and how did you handle the transition emotionally? It was a very difficult time. That That is definitely a moment in my life where the adversity and the, the kind of rejection was very apparent and I really, really struggled with it. And it happened in two forms. In the first form, I actually didn't get to make the choice to, to leave Crystal Palace. That choice was made, you know, that choice was made, uh, made for me. I was kind of injured at the time, so for years I hid behind that as the reason. Um, and then I went on trials up and down the country to try and find another club uh, and nothing, you know, nothing materialized. And at a moment in time, you know, you sit down with, with family and friends and they help you realize that economically you might have to move on with your life. And it was really that moment where the weight of my dream kind of moving beyond me um, landed. So that was, that was very difficult emotionally to deal with that transition. And then going from a vocation like football where you, you know, pretty much mess around every day with a group of friends to being in an office environment and was probably one of, the, one of the hardest things I think I've ever, ever had to deal with. And you, you had some financial pressures, uh, uh, I know, at that moment in time. And indeed, many young people today finance, uh, face financial issues, financial pr pr um, pressures at moments in time uh, in their life, whether it's keeping up with peers and so on and so forth. How did you manage that moment, the stresses and strains of the financial burdens you were carrying with you at that moment in, in time? And what advice would you give to young people uh, in a similar situation? I'm, I'm very grateful to the debt that I had at that moment in time, right, which was £89,000 uh, of debt as a 17, 18-year-old through, through just absolute reckless uh, endeavour. There was no good reason for having that debt. It was exactly as you described, keeping up with, with friends and, and, um, and you know, colleagues. Um, but I'm very grateful for the debt. It's because of the debt I didn't continue to pursue you know, my dream, it was kind of a cold shower moment of you're under this mountain of debt, pursuing this dream isn't economically viable right now, you need a reliable and steady um, income. So that cold shower is what forced me into, you know, into work, right? Yeah. Had, had I not had that, I probably would have, you know, tried to find my next call in for a period of time, but I just didn't, I didn't have the luxury uh, of that. I also had an agent at the time who really kind of force that message home, right? So again, I was really lucky because a lot of other young footballers, their agents were incented to keep chasing a contract for them. Mine took a bit of, I guess, paternal care and said, if you don't get ahead of this debt, it, it's going to live with you for, you know, for a good portion of your life and, you know, that, that wouldn't be good. So well advised, plus the enormity of the situation meant I didn't have time to, you know, to consider many different, many different options. Well, that's very healthy to hear about the importance of the mentor and mentorship role that your agent played in being honest with circumstance and situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I'd grown, you know, under that tutelage, it was just one foot in front of the other time now, right? We've got this debt, we've got to go to work and we've got to figure out how we're going to service it. 
And that actually brings us on very neatly, and that's probably you've answered the, the question that I wanted to ask in any event, but I will do it so. Failure often seen uh, as a negative experience, um, but you've mentioned very openly that in your case it played a, a very significant role in your own professional development. How did you actually embrace that? How did you use it to your advantage? There were a few, few different elements. So one was pride, right? So I grew up in a you know, group of young men who all wanted to be footballers and the majority of them went on to do that. And I was the one that came out of the pack as the failure. So it kind of lit a, a, I don't know, a candle of pride inside of me to say, okay, you know, you've got to go to work and re-engage with that pack at some point as a success. So that was one role that the, that the failure played. Um, the other role it played was just educational. So years after my football career ended, I came to terms with the fact a big part of the reason I didn't make it was I didn't apply myself. Right? I, didn't, I didn't train as hard as some of my friends trained. I, didn't, I wasn't as obsessed with being great as they were. I wasn't living the life of a young athlete who wanted to have a, a, you know, a, an elite long-term career. My application and my work ethic was off. So I kind of figured out if I was going to you know, put my life, put my energy to something else, I wouldn't make that mistake again. Right? So you know, failure for me was hugely motivational and educational. And what I say to people often now is, you know, there's nothing wrong with failing and having a, a downturn because of that failure. But your job is to come out of that failure, you know, as as soon as possible, right? Don't don't fear being in that downward spiral. Don't fear the failure, yep. unless it becomes oppressive and that downward, you know, trajectory continues. It's about it's all about the bounce and how you use what happened to you to make yourself better the next time you find yourself in that. That's fascinating. Learning from it, making again a virtue of the circumstance of it all. Absolutely. That, that's, how, that's how a failure can become such a positive thing, right? And, and that is absolutely how I view it. If you live in a, live in a or, or through a difficult moment in time, you can work to make that moment in time one of the best things that ever happened to you, right? You can work to make that you know, something that you're grateful for instead of something that you're, you're kind of remorseful of. That's fabulous advice. But at the very young age of 29, you became a VP, a vice president at uh, Primavera, a private company providing project portfolio management software. And this was subsequently, with your influence there too, acquired by Oracle in 2009 for reported $550 million. And you then became a GVP at Oracle itself. How difficult or easy was it for you to navigate your way through those roles and those organizations? And what experience did those specific roles themselves do to help shape your future ambitions? Uh, lots. Uh, and again, it, it's kind of about the learning, right? So Oracle still is one of the greatest software companies you know, on, on earth. Um, certainly from a commercial perspective, it's just a, a, an immense place. So I learned so much. In a year at Oracle, I learned more than maybe in the, the previous uh, eight years about doing business, getting deals done, uh, working with customers, building technology. So it's hugely educational. Um, the other reason it was educational is it's a huge company at the time, 80,000 employees. Yeah. And there was a lot of bureaucracy inside of Oracle, right? There was a lot of process and a lot of systems because it was a huge publicly listed company. So the other thing I learned is I don't like companies like that. And I'm not very uh, effective 
um, in environments like that. So it did a bit of environmental conditioning um, yeah. for me. So it was another learning. And the third thing, I got to work with and for uh, a guy called Charles Phillips, um, who was president of Oracle at the time. Uh, you know, a, a, a black guy just like me, the most senior ranking black exec in the tech space at the time. And through almost serendipity, I ended up reporting to, to Charles. So I got to just watch Charles at work. And he was one of the most uh, gracious, efficient, yet ferocious business people I got to watch at work. And I, I, it, it's probably 15 years now, and I can remember you know, micro engagements I had with Charles and things he said and things he did and his mannerisms. And, and that was the extent of his uh, influence on me. What a wonderful story to hear. That is a wonderful story. And then your 20-year uh, career, you've been remarkably successful uh, transforming a number of different uh, businesses, building them into great success stories for investors. You're often referred to as the darling of the venture capital de deal uh, and delivering over $2 billion worth uh, in transactions you've been engaged with. Uh, an extraordinary achievement. Can you perhaps give our audience a, a view, an explanation as to how you've been able to seize those opportunities? What was it that made you spot the difference, spot the opportunity and deliver against it? I'm, I'm not concerned about um, difficult environments or, or adverse uh, in environments. I grew up in you know, tough situations. I grew up around you know, people who were used to hardship and used to difficulty. So. So organizations that are underperforming, that need a degree of transformation, that are going to take eight days a week and 25 hours a day, you know, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't worry me. And there are other executives who might even be more, you know, talented than me and more able to drive that kind of turnaround who don't have an appetite to go into that uh, type of environment, where, whereas I do. And once I'm in, I, I often talk about two, you know, two things. One is... All you really need is a single and executable path to success, right? You don't need 20 options. You need one path that you can walk that will get you to success. And I think I've been good and lucky over time with the help of a great team to find that path and just kind of walk it relentlessly despite the headwinds that sometimes these companies um, you know, have, to, have to deal with. So it's a combination of having a really, really good team. I've always had teams better than me or the opportunity deserve. And I've always been very relentless that if, if I can see the, the path out of this uh, situation, that I'm pretty, uh, you know, pretty, pretty committed clear. to, to walking that path. Yeah. That's a great story, in particular around building your teams beneath you too. And of course, you're now currently serving as C CEO of Forterra, a leading European provider of mid-market uh, manufacturing ERP solutions. That's supported by Battery Ventures, which again, under your leadership, um, uh, achieved that sort of aspirational uh, unicorn or tech unicorn status when it was bought in February 2022 by Partners Group for 1 billion euros. Perhaps, can you, can you tell us a little bit about the Forterra story and what your own aspirations are, your own visions for that, for that uh, phenomenal company as, you're, as, you're, as you continue at its helm? Yeah, Forterra is a, a great uh, business that was built entirely for acquisition. So 
Today, the company is composed of you know, 14 different product lines, all of which were acquired. So, you know, many software companies are built by great founders who had a great idea, as is kind of 14 of those uh, in a, in a group, uh, group structure. What's absolutely remarkable about Fortero is it serves what we call the, the SME space uh, in industrial manufacturing, wholesale and distribution. So these are typically businesses that are run by first, second, sometimes third generational um, family members, right? So a, a person at a point in time founded this business because they wanted to make, you know, they wanted to make something doors. They wanted to make, you know, glass panels. They wanted to make um, components that go into that go into engines. And you, we find ourselves one, two, or three generations further down the line still serving that company, often in close to its original form. And why I think that's so exceptional is because if you look at all of the economic downturns that major economies go through, it's almost always that category of the economy that keeps the whole thing afloat, right? Those smaller businesses, those entrepreneurs who had the courage to start something, weather it through you know, difficult times and hand it on to generations. It's almost always the SME, the mid-market that props up um, the economy. If you look at COVID, uh, the mid-market outperformed, you know, the FTSE uh, and the Nasdaq, right? So these are the businesses who keep the world turning, who keep us safe, who make sure we get the things that we rely on, we like, we love. So it's just a privilege to be building a company that is really, really focused on helping them um, to be successful, especially having been in companies like Oracle, where you know, the, the cream was the major enterprises, the household names, the blue chip companies. It's nice to be here serving a set of entrepreneurs who I think, you know, really deserve the, the care and attention. I hope we build a company that can, that can give them. That's a very exciting story and a great, great vision and, and a very clear picture of, 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 of the success and the building foundations that support that success. And you've recently in, uh, been recognised in the 2023 Power List, uh, where you were ranked as the most influential uh, black man in, in, in Britain. That's an extraordinary achievement. And you pipped the likes of Marcus Rashford, Stormzy and Idris Elba to, to that particular post. Congratulations. Uh, I was keen to ask how you will use that sort of recognition and your continued success uh, to inf influence and impact on society more, bro more broadly. Yeah, I wasn't always a fan of these lists that kind of divide the population, um, especially underrepresented communities. But having been involved with the power list and seen the impact it has on you know, generations coming behind people like me, I've, I've really kind of tuned into the importance of it and the power of representation. So it's created a kind of shift um, in my mind. And now what's happening because of things that have happened at Fortero, you know, my career um, and the power list, I find myself in this position where, again, two things are happening. I'm kind of invited into conversations that are quite meaningful, um, you know, in society. I was spent some time with you know, some of the politicians who, who run the country recently talking about how they can address some of the socioeconomic issues that we have with the mayor about, uh, you know, how our city is policed. And these are conversations now I'm, I'm able to participate in because of the career I've had and because of some of the, the recognition. And I think what I'm able to do is bridge the gap between uh, kind of the boardroom and the corporate space 
and what's still happening on estates like the one I grew up in and among working class people, you know, like the, the majority of my family and friends. And being able to speak to both sides and still be hopefully relevant to both sides, I'm finding, you know, rewarding because I'm translating you know what what is needed and what people mean on both sides of the both sides of the fence and i think that is a place you know i hope to be helpful in in those kinds of discussions and at a personal level through ffg i'm really obsessed with using my network to connect upcoming entrepreneurs and young professionals with people who can have an impact on their uh, career trajectory in a similar way to how people have uh, you know have impacted impacted mine. So those are the two ways I hope, you know, to make sure that I use this position and this platform to help those who are coming. Uh, coming now, tremendous us. story. And, and mentioning FFG, that is the Forbes Family Group, which you set up in 2020. It's a not-for-profit organisation aimed at investing in social mobility and levelling the playing field, is I think the way you do it, to describe it, uh, across the UK, particularly for underserved uh, uh, communities. Perhaps you could explain a little bit more about how how that started and what its aims and ambitions are um, today. Yeah, absolutely. It, it came out of that recognition that, you know, I've had this amazing career. I've had these amazing opportunities, amazing experiences. I've now got these amazing um, connections. And I was asking myself the question, how, how do I put all of that you know, to good use, right? How can I put that to, to kind of maximum impact? And my career is absolutely a product of people who showed up at moments in time with advice, you know, guidance, or to open a door that put me on a, just a completely different um, path. So we started to kind of brainstorm about how do we become that at some scale for more people like me um, who are coming up. So through FFG, you know, we invest uh, in underrepresented founders at, at very early stage. We give them cash and a bit of business support because we find those founders sometimes aren't ready to go to a VC. They're not polished enough to pitch and win, but we understand them a little bit better because we're, you know, we're from that, we're from that background. And we do a lot of uh, mentoring and networking for professionals who are further on in their, in their career. So, you know, we partner people up for six month paid work experience placements so that they can put on their CV that they've, you know, done a job, performed a task and have real life experience at doing something in order for them to go on and, and start their career journey. So it's really about investing and uh, connecting people to others who can shape their career and, and trajectory. And it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm having so much fun. Doing oh, that's, a, that's tremendous to hear. You are an extraordinary role model uh, in the world of business and, and, and much more. My final and actually related uh, question is the one that I ask uh, everybody who comes and joins us on Off the Agenda. And that is that we live in these challenging, complex uh, times where perhaps hope and aspiration are, are much needed. What lines of support, encouragement, advice and wisdom would you offer to the next and younger generation as they begin and start their own career paths now? Yeah, I think specifically, um, well, generally speaking, but more so, you know, for, for folks who are coming from backgrounds similar, similar to mine, is to understand the extreme unfair advantage that we have having come through 
uh, adversity, right? So, so my advantage has often been my willingness to stay longer, you know, to, to cope a bit more, to deal with adversity, you know, a bit longer than somebody else, to be a little bit more patient, to not need as much, because I didn't grow up in, you know, in an entitled, um, well-manicured uh, environment. And often my, my counterparts or opposition did. So when the going gets a bit tough, I'm more able to, to win and, and thrive in those environments because of, because of where I grew up. And I often hear young people describing their current circumstance as their disadvantage. My lived experience is my toughest moments today you know, are my advantage. So as we talked about earlier, you know, using them to bounce back out and then finding yourself in those you know, testing moments. And remember, you've walked through harder than you're faced with uh, today and probably the other person uh, hasn't. And to me, that's, that's the reason to kind of live in, in eternal optimism because I know I can beat just about any situation uh, in front of me. That is a wonderful answer. And it's many respects making that virtue from circumstance, as you described right up front in question uh, one. Dean Forms, it's been an absolute delight to meet you today. Thank you so much for joining us on Off the Agenda. We wish you all the very best with Fortero, the FFG and very much more and we look forward to hearing your further stories ahead. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Well it's been a real honour and privilege to speak with Dean Forbes today and to hear his inspiring story and stories. Thank you Dean and thank you all for listening. That's all for me other than say as always stay tuned for more conversations, great discussions and inspirational guests. Thank you again and bye for now.